Okay, well, here we go. Uh, welcome to Inside the Museum with Tonya and Anna from Tudor House Museum. Joining us, we have Frankie and Tim, and also we'll be speaking to Jim later. I feel like a television presenter. Oh, it's fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? Give this Alex on the one show we run for a minute. <laughs> podcast um, at Tudor House Museum and what we want to do is just sort of take you behind the scenes a little bit with all the exciting things we are getting up to at the moment um, but this being our first podcast we thought it would be a really good idea to actually get the person whose idea this whole endeavour was into the room <laughs> so Frankie could you introduce yourselves uh, yourselves yourself there is only one of you could you introduce yourself uh, for a sport please Yes, hello. My name's Frankie. Um, I'm a recent graduate of museums and cultural heritage. Um, so, yeah, I was looking for somewhere to channel all of my energy, and that's where Anna was stuck with me. And so I'm now volunteering for um, Anna at Cheetah House. Um, I think I'm the engagement volunteer. I'm not sure of my true identity. That sounds good, that sounds good. And also what is really exciting is that um, Frankie is our first, first remote volunteer at Tudor House. I think we don't have any other remote volunteers, do we? Um, not intentionally remote, no. Okay, <laughs> some of them are not even noise. Yes, no. Um, Frankie is our first remote volunteer because you're actually based in Cambridgeshire, aren't you? Which is, um... I am, yeah, in a place called St Ives in, in Cambridgeshire. So... Not very close. No. Not commutable, no. Not really, no. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Tudor House Museum in Worcester. Um, that's quite a few quite a few miles away. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's really nice. I mean, this is obviously a really difficult time for the museum sector mm -hmm. and indeed every sector. Um, but I do think that one of the positives is that, you know, even a few months ago, we wouldn't have perhaps been so able to visualise what a remote volunteer might actually do. So mm -hmm. it's nice that there's more more um opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. So Frankie, you actually came up with the idea of a podcast, didn't you? Um yeah. why why a podcast? Well, we're now we've sort of been flung headfirst into this digital, almost entirely digital age, although um, mm -hmm. Tudor House is still offline as well, aren't you? You're still going yeah yes, um, yeah yes. we still exist in reality as well yes and you can actually yeah. come and visit especially if you're not based in the Cambridge, in Cambridge yeah. yes yeah exactly so um, it's not that it was ever conceived as a kind of re replacement for offline mm -hmm. activities or any anything like that it's more um a supplementary idea for what me and Anna are doing for engagement to see if we can make the most of the fact that everyone's now getting on board more or less with um, the digital and exploring the possibilities of the digital. So we thought, well, me and Anna spent a lot of time chatting through random things to see if any of it, any of it kind of works. And I can't remember how we, how we started talking about podcasts, but it, it came, the idea sort of came up because um, we know that it's something that several museums are exploring now mm, mm. Um, as a way to engage people because we've always known that museums are physical collections often, but that's not just what they are. They're places for stories and 
um, exploration for ideas for people. Mm. Um, it's a house, it's very people centred, isn't it? It's very much a book centred. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, as a lot of local museums are, they really prioritise the, the community as well as the collections. So we've kind of jumped on that, haven't we? We just sort of thought, well, let's talk about some of these stories that maybe people can't visit the physical collections or maybe um, the physical collections don't exist. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it just opens up a lot more possibilities and it really centres the people who are visiting the museum but also the people who are volunteering and working at the museum as mm -hmm. well because mm -hmm. they're full of fantastic information and yes yeah. yeah and that is a really nice segue actually into <laughs> our second volunteer we have on the line tim are you there can you hear us tim i can hear you can you hear me we yes. can this is fantastic see you this is brilliant so tim are you able to introduce us uh, ourselves sorry i should say that introduce yourself please <laughs> yes I, i'm tim i Gave up work in 2018. I was in the fortunate position where I was able to, mm -hmm. uh, and I needed something to keep me busy and interested. And I went along to the uh, volunteers fair at the Guild Hall, and I bumped into a very nice lady called Tonya there. Uh, <laughs> it's been about 30 seconds of meeting. Had got my name, address, telephone number, and obviously got me, <laughs> in, me, right me down for something. Um, so I went along and I did a bit of um, stewarding, uh, which mm -hmm. is all well and good but I found that didn't really fulfill my needs, if that's the right word for it. Uh, so uh, Tony suggested I looked at a couple of ladies who had been mentioned in a book by Pat Hughes way back in the I think I would just like to say at this point, these were historical ladies. Yeah. <laughs> had a link to oh, yeah. Once we're done with those two ladies, And she'd like to know a bit more uh, information about these ladies because as she put it, or paraphrasing um ladies don't get a very good uh, deal in history and we don't no, know we do much not. about them and uh so i uh, i jumped into that i had no experience of historical research whatsoever my background's in it and technology um, but both sets of parents-in-laws had done their family trees so i could tap into that knowledge uh, and i just got hooked and for the last two years i've spent more time than I should at the archives in Worcester, <laughs> much more time than I should on the internet. There's so much on the internet you wouldn't believe. I've written yeah. two or three little research, we call them papers, but they're just you know, uh, notes really, uh, just based from sitting here where I'm sitting today, trawling through the internet, um, using things like Ancestry and Find My Past and British newspaper archives. Um, and as a result, I've ended up as one of the people who knows most about the history of Tudor House at this point in time. Absolutely, absolutely. And so what we, we decided that we should be really cruel um, to Tim, <laughs> because Tim, if he wanted to, could probably write a sort of 50 or 60,000 word uh, book on many of the residents of Tudor House. And obviously oh, we've been here. <laughs> <laughs> we have been here since what, 1555? Was that what I uh, The oldest said? building actually yeah. dates back to around 1480, and then the newest bit is 1550. Newest. So, yes, newest, yes. <laughs> so there have been, you know, one or two residents here over the years. There have been plenty of them. And what we decided to do, as I say, um, Tim could probably write a book on many of them. Mm -hmm. um, and we decided to be really cruel and tell him that what he has to do is introduce us to one of the residents of Tudor House, but... Uh, we're going to call this bit breakneck biographies 
because he has only 60 seconds to give us a complete <laughs> loadout. point out that when this was sold to me, I had two minutes to do it in. <laughs> exactly. Well, I pulled the rug from underneath me and give me 60 <laughs> seconds. So, but yeah, if you so carry on like this, it'll be 30 seconds for next month. So there we go. So, I'll just, I'll just um, give you the name in one second. Brilliant, brilliant. So who are you going to introduce us to today, Tim? Which resident of Tudor House? Right, well, I, I thought given that uh, the museum does like to focus on female residents and <laughs> that what the very first person I looked at was a female resident, I would do Eleanor Shipway today. Oh, okay, fantastic. So I'm going to start my timer. And when it gets to 60 seconds, I'm going to frantically start waving at you. So the challenge is, <laughs> can you tell us about Eleanor Shipway in 60 seconds, starting in three, two, one. Eleanor Shipway lived at uh, Cross Keys Inn, part of Tudor House, uh, between 1731 and 1760. She might even have lived there earlier because her parents, George and Mary, were in St. Helens earlier and George Clothier had a cellar head, so he ran a pub. We know he took over from a chap called William Welfare, so it must have been the Cross Keys. So she might have been brought up there, but later on in 1730, after she'd uh, seen the death of one husband, she married again to Thomas Shipway and they bought the property off the Stock family uh, for 60 pounds. She then lived there until 1760, seeing off her another husband, Thomas, died in 1745. <laughs> and uh, she also saw off two sons, unfortunately, so fairly tragic. She died in 1760 and passed it on to her relatives. Um, there you go, 60 seconds. Brilliant, my God, you had five, five seconds left as well. I am well done, very, Tim. very impressed. Um, now, Tim, you have actually written um, quite an extensive blog post about Eleanor Shipway, because obviously she did a lot more than could be fitted into 60 seconds, didn't she? Mm -hmm. Indeed, yes. And like I said, this is one of the first things I wrote up. Brilliant, fantastic. And if you want to know more about Eleanor Shipway, obviously, A, you could come and visit us at the museum. That would be fantastic. But if you wanted to do that from home, where can people find your, your writing on Eleanor Shipway, Tim? Right. So if they go to the Tudor House website, mm -hmm. uh, Antonia will give the address at some point, uh, go yep. to the blog's page, and I can't remember which month it was, around about uh, May, June, uh, in the blog, yep. you'll find. Follow the hashtag Tales from Tudor House. Yes. She will be there in all her husband seeing off glory. It's okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes. a lovely turn of phrase. Thanks, Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's brilliant. So, um, we mentioned that obviously Tudor House as a building mm -hmm. has been around for quite a while. Yeah. Um, Tudor House as a museum has been around for slightly less time yeah uh 16 years this 16 year years, the museum's yeah. been in existence which is actually not uh, not not too bad at all although when you uh, start off as a building that was constructed in the sort of 1480s mm -hmm. um it doesn't quite look so impressive <laughs> but obviously we've 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 come um quite a long way since then now i have obviously i've only been here since november of last year mm -hmm. and tonya how long have you been here now. It'd be four years at the end of October. Four years. So it had been going for quite a while before either of us mm -hmm. came along. Um, but Jim, you have been here since the beginning of the museum, that is, not the uh, not the building. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the beginning of time. Yes, yes. So who 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 are you, Jim? What's your role at the um, the museum? 
I've been chairman of the museum since its inception in 2003. We opened in 2004. Um, it's been quite a privilege uh, and a very interesting ride to, to get to where we are today. But I think we are very proud of what we've done. Uh, a huge number of people have helped us along the way, a lot of them in a voluntary capacity. And uh, it's a testament to the the good nature of people, the most of people, mostly in this case, to, to say that we've got to where we are at the moment. Mm, mm. So 2003, what happened in 2003 to start a museum? <laughs> well, um, I suppose it goes back to actually 1972 when the Worcester City Council uh, had the Museum of Local Life here. So in fairness, the concept of a museum on site started at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was a very well-loved um, museum visited by almost every child in the city and uh, there was a real sort of mishmash of things to do, things to look at, a traditional old museum with a bit of everything in it really. Uh, unfortunately uh, at 2003 the City Council were looking to um, economise on, on expenditure and I think that's been a a recurring theme since then with councils and particularly with leisure activities and particularly with the museum sector. Mm -hmm. um, there's a chap called John Bennett who was a very well known uh, man in the city, uh, ran a, a company called Bennett's Dairies, a big dairy farm in, in St John's and he was a, a very public spirited citizen and he uh, tackled me and said look we've got to do something about this <laughs> uh, which really came down to us approaching the council and saying what if we opened uh, Tudor House as a voluntary heritage centre at the time we called it and um, would, would you allow us to do that and therein lies another tale. So it was 2003 really is the answer to your question. Oh, I can't imagine they just handed over the keys. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah. Well, I, I, because, because it's been such a long time ago, I did dig around in a bit of um, history. And one thing that I came up with was a, a newsletter from what was then called the Friends of Worcester Museums and Art Gallery. Uh, this was a spring 2004 and the chairman was a chap called David Thorpe and he uh, interviewed John Bennett and myself. He also interviewed uh, a very uh, eminent local councillor called Jeff Carpenter. And there was an interesting dilemma because whilst um, financially there was a way forward and we felt we could raise funds and keep the building going and keep a museum going, there was also a feeling that, um, at the time at least, that as volunteers were creeping into the museum sector, we were actually <laughs> denying people jobs. And it was an interesting social dilemma, you might say. And of course, many years later, David Cameron came up with his great big society idea, which seemed to me quite a step too far. Yes. Uh, nevertheless, in a, in a funny sort of way, we were uh, one of the big society of 2003. Mm. And uh, a group of us came together, talked to the council and they said, well, we're not sure whether you can do this or not, but why don't we give you a license for a year, see what you can make of it, uh, which is what happened. And it was, there was no cost associated with it. Um, and, and we set up a, a very modest collection of um, artifacts and stories about Worcester and in fact just had the downstairs cafe and what is now the tavern the other side of the alleyway here to to exhibit various things about Worcester. So that was really 
the lead in. And as Tanya suggested, it was a way that we um, were able to uh, put our toe in the water and allow the council to have a look at us. So you got this license for a year and was it sort of a, we'll wait and see what happens after that year? Or did you always sort of hope that it would go on? Was it sort of seen as temporary or, or hopefully permanent from the start? <laughs> well, we, we were very confident we could um, make a go of things. In, in, in essence, it's a museum, it's perhaps two things. One, it, it's, a, it's a nice place to show artefacts and invite the public in to look at an old building and so on. And I always say that's uh, the sort of tip of the iceberg and it's almost the nice bit. Because the other side of, of running any organisation, a museum uh, included, is that you've got to raise money, you've got to pay people, you've got to deal with rooms that leak and, <laughs> yes. and floors that spring up. and. Um, people that can sometimes be awkward. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so it's, it's basically, <laughs> basically a business with with all the functions that any other business have yeah. has. So so we almost uh, operated on two levels. We've got a, a a group of very good volunteers who are keen to work in the museum and show people around and do bits of research and so on. Uh, but we also had a board of. Uh, people who donated their time and their, and their business expertise uh, to try and help us forward. Uh, one person, for example, Sheena Jones, was um, actually a uh, company secretary and she is still the company secretary and she looks after all of the legal and financial, uh, sorry, the legal aspects of being a charity. And there are um, somewhat onerous obligations to report and to have um, uh, transparency in your accounts and so on and so forth and it's it's that bit of the iceberg under the water that's quite immense sometimes. Yeah yeah, yeah it's big it's not just a case of uh, opening the doors and serving people a slice of cake when they finish their tour it's, yeah. there's quite a lot of compliance goes on behind the scenes. Uh, things like health and safety and yeah. things like fire um, re regulations in a building of this nature all take a lot of work to, to get to grips with. Yes, yes. So obviously that thing, that side of things is very, um, very serious. As you say, you don't often think about the kind of fire safety regulations, but you can better hope that you have to, you know, just in case. Um, but thinking about the actual museum itself and what it sort of exhibited in those early days, was there sort of a grand plan to tell a specific story or was it all a bit kind of seat of the pants on that front? <laughs> well, again, going back to the, um, the, the, the dichotomy that the council had, uh, we were very keen to be part of the heritage and museum scene and not uh, try and compete with what the city council were doing. Mm. Uh, and in some ways that, that's quite difficult because, for example, there are lovely stories about, um, I don't know, shall we say Worcester sauce, mm. uh, various industries around Worcester um, and so on and so forth, which we could tell in a small way. But we felt really in the end that was the remit of the city council and their city museum. So we were we were looking around uh, to think what we could uh, develop as our unique uh, selling point. And, and we, we felt we could tell the story of Worcester through the eyes of people who might have lived in uh, the area on Fry Street and in the house over the years. So clearly Tudor uh, origins were important, the architecture of the building was important, it, it was, we were very keen that citizens could walk in and freely walk around and look at uh, the building because that's not often the case because a lot of the old buildings in Worcester are owned by 
private enterprises who, who don't, they're not very keen for the public to walk in whilst they're doing their insurance <laughs> yeah, business yes. or whatever else they're doing. Uh, so so we, um, we had to look at that, but also we, at the time, tried to show some of the heritage of Worcester's Victorian engineering, uh, which was something we, we talked about in the early days, and, and hence the name Worcester Heritage and Immunity Trust, but not to the House Museum being <laughs> yes, the title yes. of the charity. Yes, yes. So that is the, the Worcester Heritage and Amenities Trust is the charity arm mm -hmm. title and you are on the board of trustees of that charity along with um, a number of other people. Have I got that right? That's right, yes. There's, a, yes. there's a, a seven trustees actually. Yes, yes. So what do you actually do as trustees? Do you have much input into sort of what we do at the museum or is it all fire regulations all the time? Do you need to go and renew your parking ticket? <laughs> Well, in, in some ways, the trustees have um, an area of responsibility and knowledge. Uh, uh, we've got one trustee who's a, a, a chartered accountant who, who produces the financial reports for us. Uh, we have another trustee, as I said, who's a professional company secretary. At one stage, we had a, a, a lady who was a lawyer as a trustee to give us a, a legal view on various things. Uh, we have a, a chap who's very involved in uh, the various other uh, heritage type activities in Worcester who's got a knowledge of what's going on in the heritage scene and, and the history of the town uh, and, 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 and so we go on and, and we have former curator Elizabeth uh, Pimblett who's now the curator of the Siding Museum in Hereford who gives her professional expertise and guidance to us about various aspects of um, what I call museumship Mm. So, so that's really, there's, there's a sort of functionality to the board, mm -hmm. but in the end, as a trustee of a charity, you are, you, you, key things are that you're not allowed to be negligent mm -hmm. and that you've got to actually steer the charity to, to meet the objects of the charity and the stated objects of the charity are to run to the house as a, as a museum to, to show the, the history of Worcester mm -hmm. and, and to act as a, a sort of benefit to the citizens of Worcester and its visitors. Mm -hmm. And it's, it Obviously, that's not just something that we have here at Tudor House. All museums will have their own um, board of trustees. And it is, it's a lot of responsibility for people to do that voluntarily. Isn't it? <laughs> so I've worked in several museums, um, and this is the first one I've worked where really the trustees aren't hidden behind um, some kind of invisible wall and just mm. working behind the scenes. These are trustees who come in on a regular basis they move things around legitimately, yeah. <laughs> um, but they'll lift big pieces of furniture for me or they'll paint walls or they'll install um, uh, wires. and So they are incredibly hands-on here, which I've not experienced anywhere else, but it does mean I'm not left hanging, waiting for a decision mm. or for something to happen that needs happening straight away. The hanging comes later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First time I thought of myself as a poltergeist. Maybe. <laughs> so on that note, with your sort of your, your DIY skills coming into into call, is there anything that you've sort of been involved with at Tudor House over the years that you didn't expect you would be involved with <laughs> back in two thousand and three? Or uh... <laughs> uh, um, well, I suppose the big um, change for us, and uh, whether whether it falls into the category of answering your question, I don't know, is that. Always, the, the, uh, when we started, there was this sort of looming spectre of um, what happens if things go wrong and the roof falls in. 
Um, what on earth are we going to do? Where are we going to get the money from? And when we delved into the reasons why the council felt they couldn't continue into the house, one of the key issues was a fairly gloomy report on the cost of, of the building maintenance. And they have something like <clears throat> two or three hundred thousand pounds worth of um, money that they felt they had to set aside if they had to redo the roof. So we had a look at that and uh, there's a very well-known architect in Worcester called Nick Joyce who is a specialist in Tudor buildings and he did a, a condition survey of the place and thought that the roof was a lot better than uh, the council seemed to think it was. Okay, that's uh, good for us. I can <coughs> always go to get a second opinion. But, but the, the thing that then happened and, and it was a tremendously fortunate thing for us was that there's a charity in Worcester called Worcester Municipal Charities um, set up in medieval times actually and, and a strong part of its um, uh, conditions are that they support poor and needy people but there's a, a subset which is to do with education mm -hmm. and they actually were finding that uh, because education these days of course is universally provided and, and free um, they decided that or they were finding it difficult to meet the conditions and the objects of their charity so they saw Tudor House and its educational purpose as being a very worthwhile thing to support. So they gave us a, a modest grant to help us in the early days. And in 2007, they um, came to us and said, well, what if we bought the lease of Tudor House and let you have it for a pound a year and we underwrite <laughs> the maintenance costs? And I sort of pinched myself yes. and thought, well, I didn't expect that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it really was um, a, a, a night and day sort of experience. and. Mm. Uh, of course, we, we then went through all of the legal stuff and uh, thought about it hard and, and, and in about two seconds said yes. yes. <laughs> yes. So it, as I say, it was a tremendous um, support to us and I, I suppose without their support and their financial support, plus plus the um, moral support they give us, uh, I, don't, I think it will be a very different story here today. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And in fact we still do an awful lot with education and school visits and in fact in a few weeks time Abby the education officer at Tudor House who's not here today but who will be in a few years a uh, few years a few weeks time <laughs> um, to come and tell us about what we what we still do for the schools because we obviously it's been a little bit different this year with, with yeah. the whole pandemic thing but we have loads of schools who come year after year don't they come back to do the, the workshops we do about Tudor history and, um, also and it's, it's not just schools learning mm. as well people get very kind of fixated it's school children of mm. a certain age but actually you're looking at adult learning mm. and mm. continuing that into further education so mm. it is really important what she does and um, mm. it's brilliant that we get the support we do from well, municipal charities. Mm. Though, it is worth saying as well as well as the um, support of the fabric that I just mentioned they've actually grown in terms of the supporters and, and Abby's post is supported by a, a grant from uh, the charity mm -hmm. uh, as is Tonya's post. So I'm very grateful to them. <laughs> yes, yes, we like them an awful lot. Yeah, yes, them yes. Yes. So speaking of favourite things, um, a question for, for Jim in two parts. Um, on the basis that this is being recorded, and I'm sure that all your fellow uh, trustees and volunteers will want to listen to this. <laughs> First of all, what has been your favourite part of being involved with Tudor House over the years? And what, if anything, has been, shall we say, less enjoyable <laughs> over this time? I think, I think the, the favourite part, uh, I, I, I suppose, I, I'm actually a mechanical engineer by qualification, but <laughs> I think if I'd had 
a choice or my time again I might have been an architect so the favourite thing about this house is, is the building itself mm -hmm. um, and, and all of the intricacies of, of a Tudor um, timber frame building I just find the whole thing fascinating and as Tony alluded to I, I actually don't mind at all rolling my sleeves up and doing DIY to, to help preserve it and, and, and work with building companies and, and other tradesmen to do the work we've done on it so that's absolutely my favourite aspect of it. So did, did you think well I a bit like Tim I was in the fortunate position of um, being able to retire earlier than most people um, one of the things I sort of promised myself was never to get involved in running a business again. <laughs> We're very big businesses and all of the interesting um, often people problems or uh, that go with that and, and I thought um, and I still do think actually if, if running to the house or any other of the charitable things I get involved with becomes too much like work uh, I think it's, that's the time when I'll decide that perhaps I've got better things to do so when when um, when running to uh, being a trustee of to the house becomes very painful and you know we have to think about the latest government legislation that, that, is, that is my least favourite part of it yeah yeah yes so on that note just as a kind of a, a, a final um question where do you sort of see the museum going into the future maybe if we think next sort of five years ish once we're all through the pandemic and that's all <laughs> sorted what's the sort of the longer term plan for for Tudor well, we've we've um been fortunate in the last six months uh, during the pandemic i suppose to have had uh, a fair number of grants and, and come to fruition so we've been very busy getting the fabric of the house in absolutely tip-top condition we've been able to decorate it throughout both externally and internally mm. uh, we've built um, a new storage area we, we've been able to renovate the ceiling in what we call the best room uh, we, we've been able to um, reinforce the purlins in the roof and reinforce the second floor or the attic floor so it's safe and, and, and we're able to walk across it. So, so really we've got the place in great condition. We've, we're very close to finishing the project to interpretation of the building and reinterpreting it, emphasising the two origins mm -hmm. uh, much more than we have done in the past. Uh, I, I think the next stage really is to drive on the sustainability mm. um, efforts to to make sure that we have an income stream from uh, visitor uh, cafe and visitor shop uh, and we'd probably like to develop the backyard which is a bit of a, a mess we have a very nice concrete car park at <laughs> yeah. the rear of the museum but we, we think there are ways of masking that and making the yard much more interesting mm. uh, so so really that's the next stage to to mm. develop sustainability uh, it's to do with cafes to do with um, a coffee shop it's to do with kitchen facilities has to do with expanding our ability to to host various things mm. in, in the museum to mm. to get stronger revenue streams mm. well, an exciting time i think <laughs> yes 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 oh well thank you very much jim and thank you. hopefully we'll have you back in five years time to tell us about <laughs> how all these plans have, am i um, podcasting for the next five years yes there oh. we go this is your new job <laughs> no, not the manager's podcast officer there we go there we go so um <laughs> 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 <laughs>
nice cultural things to do in St Ives mm. um, which you know because I've been off at uni for studying and you know being all over the country really for the past kind of five or six years so um, swings and roundabouts coming back home and having to be a bit more local means I can kind of explore what we actually have here a little bit more um, so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, the Norris? Sorry to... The Norris Museum yeah. Yeah why is it called the Norris? Yeah, it's, uh, why is it called the Norris? Did you say? Yeah, I don't know actually. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out why it's called the Norris Museum. I bet in in three minutes' time, I'm gonna think, oh, that's why it is, and it's yes. really yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if we find out, we'll put we'll put a thing in the description. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I'm sure somebody listening will already know. Um, yes. So yeah, Artemisa Dintelski and uh, the Norris Museum for me. Thank you. Well done on your pronunciation as well. It's much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I butchered that. <laughs> Tim, Tim, what about you? What are you up to this month? Okay, just on mute myself. Um, I, you've thrown a, a curveball at me because I wasn't at all prepared for this, but <laughs> as quickly as I could, I am looking forward to the reopening of St Swithin's Church on oh, right yes. Church Street between the Shambles and the High Street in Worcester. It's been closed for about two years now for major yeah. renovations. And they keep saying it's going to open next month, next year or whatever, and that keeps getting putting back. And I guess it's been pushed back even further um, mm. with the pandemic. But I really would like to see what they've done there. Every now and again, we get snippets on Facebook and somebody goes in there and has a nose around and it looks absolutely fascinating. So that's what I'm looking forward to locally. Um, of course, I'm looking forward to getting back to Tudor House. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been there since March for personal reasons and the pandemic. Um, yeah. I would really love to see how that's, you know, when the new interpretations are there. Um, nationally, like I say, curveball. I'm looking forward to the third part of Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall trilogy hitting the TV screens. Oh, yes. I yeah. loved Wolf Hall. I can't remember what the sequel was called. Um, Bring up the bodies. And I've heard the uh, radio adaptation of the third book, and I just want to see how they present it on the TV. Do you know, I haven't been able to read the third one because I know what happens. I mean, everyone knows what <laughs> happens to Cromwell. It's not nice, but I just, he's such a divisive character, but I found him so well portrayed. I was really invested in him. And the idea that that is what happens to him at the end, I almost physically can't bear it. So I haven't read it yet. I heard Anton Lesser, who frankly could read a phone directory and I'd listen to him yeah, um, yeah, reading yeah. it but I switched off before the last episode <laughs> I can't bear this I don't want that to happen <laughs> no oh, fantastic. But, it's, but that um, period is full of some really horrible people yeah, yeah it really is horrible. yeah, it's, yeah. that's why it's fun to do <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, speaking of sort of periods of history that are full of really horrible people, I'm going to kind of switch up the order a bit here. I'm going to go uh, with my sort of national one first because it's a bit more, it's a bit grimmer and then hopefully end on, on, a, on a line note. <laughs> it is, um, October is obviously Black History Month and mm. I have been really, I'm not quite sure enjoying is the right word because of the nature of it, but there's been a really, really interesting, really moving um, series on the BBC, um, fronted by Samuel L. Jackson, actually oh, the actor, yes. about um, the history of slavery. And um, in the TV series, they work with um, a group called Diving With Purpose, mm. who are um, a, a group of divers who dive um, the wrecks of slave ships to uncover um, obviously the evidence of, of slavery and as I say um, 
to say that I'm enjoying it is potentially the wrong word because it is it's it's very moving, but obviously mm. it is a very um a very tough topic, but it's such a it's it's such a necessary um story to tell. But also I wasn't aware of that group diving diving with a purpose who were featured in the um the, the documentary at all before then. And I just thought what an incredible, incredible job yeah. that they that they are doing. And it's on um it's on the BBC, I think it's in four parts and we've just had three part three last Sunday, but it yeah. should I'm sure it'll be on, on iPlayer. So um, a tough watch, but a really, really um, interesting um, one there. Yeah, that's been a great series. Mm. I really, mm. like you say, enjoy is the wrong word. Um, mm. I I love the way the whole, the recent Black Lives Matter, it's challenging our um, preconceived ideas and our um, thinking that mm. has, through no through a laziness or no fault of our own, that's just what we have accepted as our mm. history and the movements that have sprung up this last 12 months are really challenging that and I found that um, really refreshing. Mm. So. Mm. Yes, yes. And on a slightly lighter note, my somewhat more local thing that I'm really looking forward to is that Birmingham Museums Trust has just managed to reopen, oh, yeah. which is fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what's going on, uh, but I'm sure it will be something um, really interesting and really enjoyable because they always have such um, great exhibitions there. Yeah. So I'm excited to just kind of turn up, obviously having pre-booked, um, and just see what's going on because I have missed Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery and the other places. Oh. I'm really pleased that so many places are Beamag is wonderful. Mm. All those pre-Raphaelites and mm. the Staffordshire Hall and everything, but you've heard of Cobble Steve no, I on Twitter. No. Oh, well, he does collages of mm -hmm. um, celebrities. They always feature the guy from EastEnders, whose name I can't remember, and they're hilarious. They're like satire of um, mm. recent events. He's done a series of these collages for um, BMAG, Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, and they are on display at the moment. So I would not delay people getting yeah, tickets. There we go. That's, my, that's my weekend sorted. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I also want some kind of recompense for promoting all these other yes, museums. Yes. So if you talk to us, yes, yes. Yeah. Reimburse. Um, yes, yes, yeah. there we go. Um, so just to finish up, by if you do want to find us elsewhere, either because you have been so fascinated about what we've been talking about or because you are another museum who, you know, come on, chop chop, <laughs> you can find our website at Tudor House, is it Tudor House Museum or Tudor House, I should know these Tudorhouse.org.uk. And that has got all of our information on there. And there's a specific tab on the homepage with the blog, which will take you to Tim's um, fantastic writing on Eleanor Shipway. Mm -hmm. And if you want to follow us, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube, yeah. all at Tudor House Wuss, all one word, all lowercase, Wuss is W-O-R-S-C, at Tudor House Wuss. And hopefully we'll see you in a month's time for our next episode. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>